You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. Hi, welcome to Future Proof Workplace. Thank you for joining us again. And we are testing the limits of technology this week. I'm in uh, the West Indies, and Morag, I believe you're in uh, Colorado, correct? I am indeed. And uh, our guest, who we'll introduce very shortly, I believe is in uh, North Carolina. So uh, we are challenged from a technology perspective, but somehow or another, it's uh, going to work. So um, how, what have you been doing this week, Morag, from a future-proof perspective? Uh, well, I have been working with a cybersecurity firm to invest in the next generation of leaders. So we were launching a new program in Omaha for that particular company and uh, had a fun time. It was uh, interesting times, fully engaged group. We challenged the thinking and gave them uh, new tools and approaches to the people side of what is a very competitive and very hot topic right now for every organization. Yeah, you know, it's so true. As, as I'm seeing this, uh, where I am, I've been doing a little work here on the uh, on the future-proof workplace, and it really is the people side that makes the difference. And, you know, you and I both know we have that survey, that the uh, quick quiz that we do, and um, the adaptation of technology is still something that frightens people. It's uh, probably still one of our lowest scoring items, that and uh, the mixed bag around the kinds of leaders that many organizations have. So we have a lot to do still on the human side. Would you agree? I would. I mean, I just think of it from my own perspective. It, that fear of technology comes from many different um, angles. It's the fear it's going to replace me. It's the fear of they right. all look the same. What happens if I pick the wrong one? I, might, I remember my parents being avid fans of the Betamax video recorder, and we know what happened to that. VHS right. won out. <laughs> and then there's the, right. oh, I right. bought it, like those fancy smart whiteboards that everybody had a few years ago, but nobody dared use because they were worried about breaking it. Right, right. And, you know, it's so interesting. Uh, we, we had, when I was at Hewlett-Packard, and, uh, you know, we had these um, – panels that, you know, so you could talk to people just like you were in, the, I, I forget what they call them, but very expensive. And uh, they became obsolete within, uh, I would say about a year, two years. Mm-hmm. So I feel sorry for the companies that, that bought them. And here we are trying to jerry-rig, you know, technology that some of us are very much used to and uh, other parts of the world really are not. So I think that helps us lead in to our guests today. And uh, it was so exciting. I was at, and I've, you, you've heard me on the show mentioned a number of times at the 21 Dobbs of the Future uh, conference uh, where I met our guest today. And it's so interesting because the, a lot of those jobs for the future are people-oriented uh, jobs, uh, walker-talker, healthcare, uh, some other kinds of things that um, people are going to need as they move forward. 
But I met a wonderful person, uh, Vivek Wadwa. And Vivek is with us today, and he is the Director of Research and uh, Commercialization at the Pratt School of Engineering at Duke University. Brilliant thinker. He was named one of the top 40 thinkers and influencers in the tech world. Just a few of his many um, accolades. He's written a recent book uh, called Driver in the Driverless Car, How Technology Choices Will Create the Future. Uh, many thought articles that he's written, and, uh, you know, he's a great entrepreneur, and I think we're going to have a wonderful discussion about the world of work as AI takes over. So thank you, Vivek, for joining us. It's great to be here. I'm calling in from Silicon Valley. I'm now at Carnegie Mellon University in Silicon Valley. Oh, right, right. <laughs> right, right. Oh, um, you know what? <laughs> I knew you were at Carnegie Mellon, and I looked up uh, your Wikipedia, and I said, right. did I make a mistake there? I was pretty sure he was at Carnegie Mellon. <laughs> Wikipedia is out of date. It's out of date, so no one yeah. updates. I'm not allowed to touch it, so I don't. <laughs> Isn't that the irony? You're the expert of you, Vivek, and you're not allowed to update your own uh, Wikipedia page. I've heard that story before. <laughs> That's true. That's I know. Well, you know what's so funny? Vivek, you need to update your LinkedIn, your Wikipedia. Now get with it. You know, you're this big tech guy. Come on. <laughs> Maybe you can help me. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Right. Well, you know, no matter how much technology we have, we all have gaps in our capability for sure. At least exactly. I know I do. So uh, I tell you, I wanted to, uh, well, a couple of things I want to, Morag and I both want to explore with you. And I just kind of want to set the stage. I know you're an entrepreneur and you're doing these wonderful things in India with your new healthcare product. I definitely want us to start talking about that. And I'd like to jump in by just saying, you know, give us your perspective on how AI is, is changing the world, and in particular, the world of work. Broad question, but I know you'll be able to fill it in. Sure. You know, um, AI uh, is really like teenage sex these days. Everyone is talking about it, yet they don't, no one really knows what it is, or they, and they don't do it right when they do. So AI is being hyped a lot by businesses. <laughs> However... Yeah. However, AI is everywhere. I mean, so there are two worlds over here. One is the business world. Um, the uh, users of, uh, of you know, um, corporate systems and so on. And the other is the tech world, the Googles and Facebooks and so on. In the tech world, they have now started adding AI to everything. When you do a search, it uses AI. When you talk to Siri, it uses AI. When you use Google Maps, it uses AI. So AI is now embedded in all of these things. In the business world, there's a lot of hype about it. They say we're doing it, but they had, you know, frankly, businesses don't even know how to spell AI. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so that's right, the opportunity right. here. Opportunity here is to help businesses use it because it can have amazing benefits that wherever you have data, wherever you have to make decisions, AI can help you make them better. Because what do we do today? We use Excel spreadsheets to you know, manage financial data. We write computer systems to help us analyze massive re reams of data that we get from, our, from different parts of our operation. What AI can do is to do that better than we can because, you know, let's say that uh, you're in the insurance industry, you're, you're computing the risk of, uh, uh, of, a, of a particular policy. You have people called actuarials who do that. So each of them has their own techniques for doing it. Each of them has 
historical record of doing it. The trouble is when that person retires, the knowledge is lost. So with AI, Absolutely. it learns, learns everything that everyone has done and it remembers it so that it, it you know, gets smarter and smarter and smarter over time. And over time is at light speed because it's able to absorb a lot more data than human beings can do. So today, it's being overhyped. Yes, it's, it's real, but tomorrow, it could be smarter than human beings are at many, many, many different jobs. So Vivek, just wow. to clarify then, you've just made me think AI isn't, the, the end maybe the sentient robot, the sentient computer. But right now what you're saying is AI is actually much more granular that, than that. It's the smarter analytics. That's artificial intelligence for 2018. Yes. Well, for 2018, it's Excel spreadsheets on steroids. That's what it hey, is for yeah. everyone except for a few companies in Silicon Valley. Wow. Wow. So how do you think that this is going when, when it does become uh, more adopted? And, uh, you know, I think it is going to be more adopted. What is this going to mean for, the, for, for, for workers? Well, this, here's what the challenge is. I, I gave you the example of the actuarials uh, in the insurance industry. What happens now when when uh, AIs have been used to analyze 100,000 policies and they're more accurate than the human beings are? You, would you trust a human being to, to compute the risk for your company? Or would you trust an AI that has knowledge not only from one type of analysis but from others and that doesn't forget anything? Right, so it'll, it'll we'll come to the point that the computers can analyze a particular type of data that better than we can, who can who are better at specific narrow fields than human beings are. So those jobs start disappearing, and then you know the the craziest stuff is when AI decides to learn everything on its own. When it really you know when it now can cross the barriers and decide what it thinks is worth learning and learns on its own. That's science fiction. For this discussion, I would stay out of that because we don't know when it's going to happen, if it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, or what the implications are going to be. And it's at least 15 or 20 years away. So for the next 10 years, 15 years, we can relax and talk about the opportunity, and then we worry about that later on. Okay. So wow. if AI is doing the higher-order thinking... That doesn't mean that we get to do the fun, glamorous work. It actually means that our work might actually get dumbed down then. Yeah, it means that, well, theoretically, what the optimists say is that we'll do, higher level, we'll do the higher level work and the AI will do the grunt work. But realistically speaking, we're not really higher than that. Most people who do jobs just do the same job over and over again. They're not going to be suddenly be, you know, be trained up to be able to look at the big picture and get into the job of supervising AI. And that's what the fear is, that um, in many or most fields, the majority of jobs will be done by machines. And yes, there'll still be people, there'll be some new jobs created. The 21 jobs will be created for sure. You know, the, the paper that Linda was talking about is, is brilliant. However, those jobs are for very, very few people, not for the masses. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So what will the masses end up doing? You tell me, my friend. I don't know. And what really yeah. worries me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I would, I would like to have a crystal ball around that one. So, so Vivek, you, you talked a lot about um, when, when we were at that conference together, the integration of humans and uh, technology and 
what does your crystal ball say about that? I mean, I, I you know, we you showed a lot of pictures of people and 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 technology being embedded within them, so that you almost became, you know, part robotic as a as a human. I mean, do you see that in in the future? What's happening now, anyway? Yeah, Linda. If you go back in time, we started wearing eyeglasses. We became, and that's the technology. Yeah. We became dependent on them. Today, right. uh, you know, I, I I doubt you would wash your own dishes or you take out the uh, the scrubber and wash your own clothes. You use machines for that, right? You're dependent on them already. Right. At work and not at work, at play, every you know moment of your waking up lives, you're checking email. Even you were checking email. So the fact is that we are already right. are, are being enhanced by technology in every way. So now the, the next step happens when we start wearing uh, medical sensors, which monitors 24-7. So, you know, your um, uh, sensor, your, uh, your Siri equivalent tells you in the morning, hey, Linda, don't eat an extra piece of pie. You're already fat enough as it is. Stay off it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, you know, she, she tells you to get some exercise and so on. She, you know, basically becomes an advisor. And then we start having enhancements to our body to, to now um, give us extra strength so we can walk stairs or we can climb mountains. You know, God knows the type of enhancements we're going to be able to have in a decade or so. The stuff out of science fiction, remember Steve Austin, uh, Six Million Dollar Man? Yes. Steve yep. Austin will be around yeah. for about 15 years or so. And we're going to have to decide whether we want those bionic enhancements. So the question then becomes, we're already now uh, you know, connected to machines. We're, we're, we're dependent on them. We're being enhanced by machines. When do we become machines ourselves? But this is again in the category of the of the runaway AI, which is in the 15 to 30 year time frame. So I would say, let's not worry about it right now. Let's talk about how we can use AI to make us more productive, how we can use technology to help us. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think it's really interesting because when you look at the advent of the 20th century, it really was the man, you know, human, I don't want to say man, the human and uh, the extension of the machine and to listen to you talk and to think about it and to also be involved. I'm involved with some Silicon Valley companies who are startup companies who are doing some interesting things. It does appear that the 21st century at some juncture is really going to be the integration of the human body and more technology embedded in it. So it's fascinating. Morag, I'm going to throw it over to you. Well, I'm just thinking back to uh, high school and having to read 1984 and all of the proponents there of Big yeah. Brother. And, of course, we're seeing it hopefully on the good side coming to light here. But, uh, uh, Vivek, I'm, so, I'm interested. Obviously, you're passionate. You are at the forefront of change. What has most surprised you about the resistance to these ideas from uh, either the general population or business? You know what? I'm not surprised at the resistance because you expect that. What I'm surprised at is the ignorance that people don't know it's happening. Mm. You know, um, Linda just talked about surveillance in 1984. We don't have to realize that everywhere we go, there are cameras now. And in the mm. last year, uh, year and a half or so, there was a switch that was flipped. Suddenly, the ability of these cameras to recognize our faces exceeded that of human beings. Facebook, when you post right. an image on Facebook, it knows who you are. And it's more accurate at recognizing the faces than we are. In China, they've taken it to the extreme now. China has better recognition technologies than are commercially available in the United States. In Kentucky Fried, 
they're now rolling out these machines, these uh, uh, cashiers, where you go, it recognizes your face, and it says, aha, you had this last time. Would you like to order it again? It's keeping track of who you are already. The government is setting up cameras everywhere to uh, create social scores on people. In other words, if you were good, if you called your parents up, if you broke the law, if you follow the rules, the government is keeping track on you. Uh, 1984 is already here in China, except you haven't seen the dark side of it yet. They're gathering all the information and they're monitoring you. They're watching. In certain parts of China, they yeah. now have cameras where it is 94, 1984, where you're seeing Big Brother watching you and Big Brother will kill you if you cross the line. So this is already happening. In the USA, we haven't sort of crossed those lines yet because we're still limited by laws and, and, and understanding. But the fact is that all of these things are possible. Our smartphones, our iPhones, our Android phones keep track of everywhere we go. Apple knows who your friends are. Google knows exactly where you've been, what time you wake up, when you go to the bathroom, how long you shower for. It knows when you're stressed because <laughs> by, by judging your activity levels, your movement, by judging the tone of your voice, these companies mm -hmm. know our emotional state. They know that today. It's big wow. already happening. Vivek, it's, it's fascinating and scary. Thank you. We're about to go to a break. Yeah. To everybody who's listening, uh, 1984, it's here. And we are discussing with Vivek Wadwa, who's a fellow at Carnegie Mellon University's College of Engineering, the impact of artificial uh, intelligence and technology on the world of work, not just in the future, but right here, right now. Do stay with us and we'll continue the conversation after the break. Ever wondered if your career will last? Will your job be around in 10 years, 5 years, or even tomorrow? The Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett gives you practical tips and tools that are not only fact-based and proven to make you a better leader, but will also ensure that both your organization and career are future-proof. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you future-proof your career. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Welcome back. We're talking to a leading thinker in the field of technology, Dr. Vivek Wadwa, and we are talking about, you know, the adaptation of artificial intelligence and the impact and the fact that we have hit, uh, you know, uh, 1984, and it is here. And I think, Vivek, I heard you uh, a couple of times say, you know, Star Wars is the reality. It's not the... Uh, it's, it's not the future. It also is here today. So my question for you is, you know, given the capability of watching people the way and, and knowing everything about them, and I see that even on my phone. You know, I get these messages uh, because I've logged into something and all of a sudden they know that. Um, what, are the, what are the ethical and sort of moral implications of this? And, and what, are, what are your thoughts on that? You know, uh, in every field of technology, there are a lot of issues here. You know, my next book, my last book was Driving the Driverless Car, which is what we, we talked about earlier. My next book actually took right. a detour. It's, uh, uh, the title of it is Your Happiness Was Hacked, how, tech, how the tech industry is taking control of, uh, 
uh, of us and how we need to fight back. The book, the book looks at the dark side of technology. The fact that, you know, social media in particular, it was supposed to, social media was supposed to bring populations together. It was supposed to make the world a, a better place, a friendlier place, supposed to uplift us, educate us and so on. But if you look at what Facebook and Google and, and Twitter did, for example, they, they weaponized social media. They started gathering so much information about us that they were able to, uh, to sell us to uh, other companies to micro-target us. Facebook helped sway the elections by allowing foreign governments to right. micro-target voters in different parts of America. Uh, you know, uh, Twitter is spreading misinformation. Google also, anyone is for sale. You, they'll serve up ads to anyone anywhere. And the question is, uh, you know, and if you look at all the research about it, what the research shows is that overall we become unhappy that's making us miserable. That technology isn't doing what it was supposed to do. It's ripping societies apart. It's increasing teen suicide. It's creating increasing depression. Every metric you look at, it's done worse for us. So what the tech industry did was unethical. That these companies wanted to get filthy rich. They wanted to minimize their costs, so they used AI uh, to um, to mine our data, and they did this, you know, recklessly. Now they're selling us out. So the fact is that. Um, you know, the, the tech industry has crossed the line and we need to figure out how to rein it back. So that's what the book is about. It talks about exactly what's going on and how we need to, uh, to use technology in a, in a wiser way and what policies we need to create to, to you know, rein the tech industry in. So this is just in social media. In everything else, gene editing, for example, we can now edit genes. It's, the technology is called CRISPR, right. C-R-I-S-P-R. Right. Now, the United States is being very cautious with it, but the China, you know, last week there was a Wall Street Journal article which said that 86 people in China have already had their genes edited. Wow. They modified them. They're yeah. editing emb embryos. And most yep. people are not even aware that we can edit embryos now. The Chinese are already doing experiments to create superhuman beings using oh uh, gene editing. So this is the type of, they've already done it with animals. They've done it with plants. So this is already happening. And we're not even aware of it. So ethical, are you kidding? Very. I mean, we've already crossed many lines and people aren't aware of them, but this is happening over and over and over again with every technology. Yep. So, so what do we do? Is it too late to put this genie back in the bottle? Great question. Would we even want to? Right. But how do, how do we move forward? Well, this is what my two books have been about. I don't about. know, you can put the genie back. Yeah, I know. In Driving the Driverless Car, the message of the book was that, look, we have a choice right now, that we have the ability to create Star Trek, the amazing future we saw in science fiction of unlimited food, unlimited energy, unlimited education, perfect health, 3D printed everything. So all of our wants and needs being met, we have the ability to do that right now. The dark side of it is that because we're not sharing the prosperity, because we're misusing technology, we could also create the dangers of Mad Max. We could create the dystopia that rips societies apart and we could go to hell in a handbasket. I mean, this is also possible. Yeah. And the book tried to educate people on what's going on and said, look, it's up to us to learn this. It's up to us to tell our policymakers what we should be doing over here. That's what Driving the Driverless Car is about. The next book looks at one specific you know, technology, which is social media and our use of the internet, our use of email, how we're using technology, why we're using it. And it basically prescribes how we need to get, take control of it so that we can live happier lives. So, and the, the next book I'm going to work uh -huh. on right after this is about the jobless future because I am indeed worried that technology will take jobs away. 
<clears throat> and the problem is, what do we do about it? We we can't stop technology. We can't stop the you know the rise of AI. So in the interim, my advice to the listeners is to learn technology and to to use it to enhance themselves so that they can be leading the change rather than being a, its casualty. Because we got to learn it. You know, it's just like when Excel first came out. If you didn't learn how to use Excel or Word or learn how to use email, uh, you're not going to be listening to this to this uh, broadcast because mm-hmm. you're unemployed. So we had yep. to learn how to use it right. to make it better. So with the newer technologies, we've got to learn how to use them. But then looking forward to steps, what happens now when the technology can do almost every job human beings can do? What sort of policies do we need? How do we now transition into this future? That's what my next research project is. And frankly, I do not have the answers. I don't know what we should do right now. And that's interesting because at the moment yeah. with a value-based <laughs> economy – if you haven't got a job, you don't have dollars, pounds, whatever in your pocket to buy the things that the AI is now making. So short-term business suffers. Or we move to a completely right. different um, mind frame around long walks on the beach. Maybe that's what we're doing, Vivek. I don't know. <laughs> but Yoga, it is. meditation, yeah. seeking enlightenment. I mean, those are not bad things. I mean, having more time is good. But trouble is that right now our identities revolve around our jobs. You know, the yes. first thing you ask when you meet someone is, what do you do? Right, you're defined by your job right. and and your level within a job. That's how we get our social stature, and that's how we look at ourselves. Right. What happens? If we don't have jobs. I mean, the tech industry says, right. oh, we'll have universal basic income. Everyone will get an income. That's hogwash. I mean, uh, yes, right. you know, they can be social welfare, but that doesn't solve the social problems of us not having, you know, purpose to our lives. Right. So, so Vivek, I wanna I wanna take a little turn here because. Uh, you know, this, these are fascinating discussions, but but I also know that you have an entrepreneurial business, which is quite exciting, and you have a lot of perspective about the healthcare industry, and in fact, have developed some technology, which, you know, unfortunately, is probably never going to see the light of day in the United States, particularly for a long time. But tell us about that. Okay, the company you're talking about is HealthCubed, H-E-A-L-T-H-C-U-B-E-D.com. Yeah. And it's a medical device that does 32 different tests. The same test as you do in hospitals. Everything from your EKG to your blood, you know, to blood uh, sugar, blood glucose, uh, your um, uh, HIV, dengue, malaria, pregnancy, cholesterol, you name it. The most common test we do, this device does. Made in New Delhi. It costs $1,000 in India. And the consumables, each test costs you about 10 or 15 cents. It's an amazing technology. I didn't build it. I'm a board member and I'm an investor in it. Right now, the, we're take, yeah. it's being taken all over India so that 700,000 people now are being tested with it. Next step, it's yeah. going to be going, going to Bangladesh where hopefully about 40 million people are going to benefit from, benefit from this technology. The poor in India have better diagnostics than we do. You know, um, these hundreds of thousands of people who are being tested with this technology, all they have to do is go on their smartphone and they can have their, their med- complete medical history on their smartphone. Today they have this already. And the testing that they need, they get the results immediately. When we go to the doctor, you, you know, you wait in line, you fill out forms, the doctor orders a blood test, a day later you get it, you go back and then you get diagnosed. These people get diagnosis within 15 minutes or so using this technology. Now, um, I, I, I do plan to, plan to bring this to the United States, but after 100 million people are using it abroad so that no one here can stop it because the technology mm-hmm. is as accurate as are the most advanced tests because it's the same sensors that are being used in this technology. So the plan is to take this to wow. Asia, Africa, the Middle East, all over the world, and then bring it to the United States and disrupt our, our medical system over here. 
That's a plan. That's in wow. inspirational. That's I know, a good use of technology. <laughs> Absolutely. Very, very good. And you know what it's doing is is it bringing to to the mass population uh, and and a poorer population the ability to have top uh, top level diagnostics that they never had before. They probably yes. never had an opportunity to know any of these things before. Yes, PBS News Hour did a segment. I know you have a I'm sorry, PBS News Hour, August 31st, they did a segment about the jobs and the future of jobs on the brink. In it, they had a video of my using HealthCube at home. The fact that I could do the same test as hospitals and get the results immediately at home. You know, you, if your readers want to learn more about it, they can watch that PBS News Hour clip as well. Yeah, so, that's, that's great. We will. I'm sure our listeners will, 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 will key into that. So I know you have a... Uh, 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 some very strong feelings of why this is probably not going to come to the U.S. And, and also you've obviously got a strategy of going to other countries before you even bring it here. Why do you think something like this would cannot and has not been adopted by the United States? Because if you can get your own diagnosis, you don't fall sick. You don't fall sick, you don't need doctors as much as we do today. Now, that's the sinister side of me saying that. But more realistically, <laughs> it's, a fact, it's a fact that uh, the, you know, uh, uh, the, the wet labs, the, the people who do the diagnosis are going to be threatened, so they're going to try to stop it. They're going to find every fault with it. The moment the technology is misused, there are going to be lawsuits about it. The doctors will feel threatened because if you have your own medical records on your smartphone, you don't need them anymore. You know, Try mm -hmm. getting your medical records from your doctor. Doctor, you're going to find you have to fill out forms. They make every excuse in the book, and then they mail you back printed copies of your EKGs or whatever you want. They make it miserable for you to shift to another doctor because that's a livelihood. With your medical records being on your smartphone and getting instant, instant uh, testing done, you could see a doctor anywhere in the world. You don't have to pay you know, the doctors their fees over here. You could see a doctor in, in Asia, in South America, and pay them by the minute a dollar a minute perhaps, and they look at your uh, diagnosis and, and now immediately they prescribe, uh, they tell you what to do to improve your health. We will need our Western doctors less if we do that. So the establishment will fight something like this. I'm loving this. Vivek, yeah, I appreciate it. Maybe. We're coming up on a, another break and you're listening to the Future Proof Workplace radio show with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. Our guest this week is Vivek Wadwar, Distinguished Fellow at Carnegie Mellon University's College of Engineering. And if you're only just entering now, we are talking about the realities, the upsides and the downsides of technology and how that's impacting the world of work. Stay with us for a more exciting conversation. We all know that leaders who build talent, care about their people, and create healthy organizations are the people that others want to work for and with. Raise your own bar and future-proof your organization with the Future-Proof Workplace. Whether you're a CEO, manager, or just trying to survive the chaos, the Future-Proof Workplace is your wake-up call. Because, let's face it, the future is now. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you start future-proofing your organization. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. And welcome back to the Future Proof Workplace radio show with Linda and Morag. And our guest this week is Vivek Wadwa. And we're talking about the impact of technology, and the ups and downs. So, Vivek, you've given us some of a look behind the curtains, the downside. Is there any good news in this? There's a lot of good news because, uh, you know, having our wants and needs met 
through technology. In other words, being able, I gave you the example of HealthCube just now. Imagine being able to now live in almost perfect health. Not only do you get diagnosed, but you also get treated using advanced new technologies. And we don't get sick in the first place because you know we can prevent that. Imagine now being able to have... Uh, inexpensive clean energy because another thing which is happening is that the cost of clean energy solar and wind in particular is dropping on an exponential scale move forward about 15 years or so you're talking about almost unlimited clean energy we you know it i don't know why people can't see the obvious here when prices keep dropping you know 15 20% every year very soon you get closer and closer to zero and that's what's happening with clean energy you have unlimited clean energy you can now have unlimited clean water because we can literally boil the oceans and have as much clean water as we want. You can also now have self-driving electric cars that cost practically nothing because the cost of energy is practically zero. Also, the cost of batteries is dropping exponentially. So imagine in the year 2025, being able to buy a self-driving electric car that can go, that can travel about 100 to 200 miles, which costs $15,000. You can throw away your junk right now and and upgrade to this clean car. Imagine by 2030, it costing $5,000. So, you know, suddenly now we have unlimited and not having to own it because we have the cost is so low that you can get to wherever you want to get to and share cars. This is the type of future we're headed into, having unlimited food, being able to print food in vertical farms because we have unlimited clean energy and unlimited water. So... Are gone are the problems of humanity. So we work right now to for sustenance so that we can feed our families. Imagine not having to work, working, work being a luxury. This is all doable in the next 15 years or so. Where are we all going to live, though? I'm now worried as I think about the 100-year lifespan. I'm glad if I'm going to live to 100 years that I might be healthier with it. Um, I'm assuming we're talking here about lab-grown food, et cetera, to help keep us all alive in our electric-driven cars. But don't we run out of space? We have all the space in the world. I mean, uh, there's no shortage of space. Imagine if we didn't have to use farmland for growing vegetables and crops or for uh, animals that we slaughter, right? The, all of that frees up when you have the ability to have vertical farms and, and, and 3D printed uh, meat. So we uh-huh. could have all the space. We, we could you know, use that land for living if we wanted to. And imagine being able to 3D print houses, this is not science fiction yeah. already. I mean, um, there are companies all over the world that are 3D printing buildings, but it's still slow and cumbersome. Move forward 10 and 15 years, and you'll be able to print very sophisticated structures very fast for a very low cost. This is all in the realm of the possible now and not that far away. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, I, I, and you, you also see, I, you know, connectivity. I was off for a while, so now I'm back on. So. Sorry about that, guys. But, you know, what about this, all this stuff about making beef and meat? You know, you can make meat that's just like if you slaughtered a cow. I mean, think about the impact that that's going to have. Exactly. It's still very expensive, but costs are dropping at a, you know, at, a, at a rapid pace. And we're about a decade away from having to, uh, to worry about whether we'll eat it or not, but it's not that far away. We're headed to this future quite rapidly. So what's exciting wow. you right now, Vivek, as you look to the future and all of these different possibilities, what's caught your attention? All of these at the same time. It's not one technology. <laughs> it's multiple technology at the same time. I, I'm really optimistic that you know we'll get over it and we'll build a Star Trek future. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be pretty. 
But despite all the ugliness, we will eventually muddle our way through and create the future we saw in Star Trek, except it's going to happen 300 years ahead of schedule and that we will be able to uplift humanity. That's what my, my dream is, or my hope is, that's what the optimistic side of me says. So despite yeah. the research, you know, I, 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 sorry, Linda, you keep going. I just want to underscore something of Morag, I'm sorry, but uplifting humanity, and that is the hope. That is the hope. Go ahead, Morag. Well, it was a similar thought. The, the idea of your new book, which is coming out in June, which is Your Happiness Was Hacked, why tech is winning the battle to control your brain and how to fight back. The fact that you, what you're, I heard there was the uplifting piece, the bringing us together versus the um, disconnection that seems to be happening and rampant right now. Yes, that's the dark side of it. You know, I have to moderate myself because when I get too excited, I suddenly begin to realize how, you know, everything is being abused and how technology is being hijacked by certain people, how the gap between the haves and the have-nots is growing wider. I mean, you know, if yeah. you look at America, if you look at Brexit, if you look at what's happening worldwide, the the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. Or the poor, maybe they're not getting poorer, but they're staying constant and they're getting mm -hmm. left out, they're getting angry. If we continue on this path, they're going to basically want to burn down the uh, the businesses we have because you know they're being left out. Uh, so this is a big concern that we cannot leave the world's masses out. We have to share the prosperity we're creating. We've got to figure this out, and then we have to make sure we're using technology for good, not for evil. This whole the example, this example I gave you about social media being hijacked by Facebook. Facebook has gone from being good to being evil within uh, you know, a year or two because it went too far. Now we're recognizing it. Now it's being held accountable because we saw what they did you know, in selling us out and then Mark Zuckerberg denying it. So, but the fact is that it's, it's, there's a fine line here between good and evil that you can take the same technologies that can uplift mankind can also be used to destroy humanity. And we got to be very, very, very careful. And we got to make sure that we're being fair and that we're now using technology wisely. We're sharing the prosperity. That sharing the prosperity is a must, that we can't leave the rest of the humanity out. We got to make sure everyone benefits from it. So yeah. what can I as an individual do to help make that reality come true? Because I look at it well, and think, well, I leave it to the big companies, but that's part of the problem. So what can I do? Right. First, first, you, need right. To learn about, first you need to learn about it. You know, many mm -hmm. of the things that I've, we've had to, to be discussed here, I'm sure were a surprise to you. Right. But the fact is that is that we can learn this all. We can understand it. And then we have to come together and start deciding what's good and what's bad. I mean, where do you draw the line? Where do you, where, you know, uh, what, I mean, dr having drones deliver your morning latte is going to be a reality within two years or so because Starbucks is already testing these drones, as is Amazon, as is Walmart. We're going to have drones driving by and dropping things off in our houses. The problem is that those drones have high-definition cameras on them. They can watch everything we're doing. The same drones can be yeah. used to, drop, to deliver bombs and to you know, do a lot of damage. So what are the regulations we should have? I mean, we need to now agree on where drones will be used and where they won't be used. You know, for example, maybe a simple solution is that drones can travel on on roads, the same roads that cars travel on, and then when they enter your house, they enter through using the driveway, and they can only come to a certain point of your house. But the fact is, we you know we don't even know this technology is so close, and no one is talking about regulations. Our policymakers, their job is to do what we want, is to implement what we consider to be ethical, what we consider to be moral, what we consider to be acceptable. We got to tell them what we want. 
but the trouble is we don't even know it yet. Uh, this is what I wrote about in Driver in the Driverless Car, that we got to start learning this stuff so we can come to a consensus as society and tell our policymakers what we want because we don't know what we want right now. And retrospective yeah. you know, legislation is tough. Sorry, Linda. I, I was just going to say sometimes things, I, I hate to say this, but I'm reading a very interesting book about, you know, so the evolution of mankind and sometimes, uh, you know, some societies like the Roman society were really f phenomenal societies. And sometimes you have to crash before people realize what's going on around them. And uh, sometimes the pendulum swings hard the other way before people realize that they have to do something about it. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope that there are um, insightful people out there that are thinking about this. But it doesn't sound like you... you you think that there's a critical mass in that area, if no, I'm getting it right. Okay. Most people don't even know this stuff is happening. I mean, they they yeah. hear the headlines. They don't understand how rapidly technology is evolving, how it's about to change everything. I mean, people are buying these bots from Amazon, you know, Alexa uh, and, and Google Home, yeah. and they're setting up all around their houses. Little do they know that Jeff Bezos is listening to everything that they say, and Jeff Bezos has gone on, the, you know, basically they, they won't commit to what they're doing with the uh, recordings, what they're doing with the data. Amazon has no commitment here not to abuse it. They're learning everything about you. They're learning when you wake, when you sleep, when you, you know, how many times you go to the bathroom, how many times you have sex, how you, when you yell at your wife, everything they can learn about you. They, so, so Bezos is doing what uh, Big Brother would have dreamed of in 1984. And people not even aware, they're buying these cutesy little things for $50 on sale on Black Friday. They're buying these things, they're bringing them into their home, setting it up. Ooh, it'll control my lights for me. Ooh, it'll play music to me. But little did, did they know that they've installed a master spying device in their home, a surveillance yeah. device in their homes. They're bringing Jeff Bezos into their homes. So you've chosen yeah. not to take one of those into your home at this time? No, I, I tested it, and then I, <laughs> and then I returned yeah. it to Amazon. What I did was okay. I, let, I let them pay for the shipping back. <laughs> okay. That's one way of getting, getting back at the man or the, or the woman. I, you know, <laughs> that was my revenge. I'm about, <laughs> as I'm listening to you, I'm saying, geez, I was just getting ready to buy one of those. So maybe I'm going to think twice about this. You see, you see how ignorant you are, my friend? You didn't even realize that you were buying a surveillance device and that you're going to bring Jeff Bezos into your house. Right, exactly. Well, so <laughs> give us the last word here, uh, Vivek. I'm, I'm assuming, Morag, we're coming to the close we to the are. end of the show. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. So what's, what's your last word for people? My last word is start learning about technology. It can be good, it can be evil. It's like every technology has been since the beginning of time. Fire can be used to cook food to keep us warm or it can be used to burn down houses and to kill and to destroy. Let's use technology for good, let's learn it. Let's use our highest moral and ethical values and come together and, and use it in the wisest way possible so we can build the amazing future of Star Trek. Yes, we can create a Star Trek future. Wow. Morag, last word? Oh, no, this is insightful. I'm going to be pre-ordering your new book, Your Happiness Was Hacked. Um, I am also uh, going to be finishing The Driverless Car on my next flight. So thank you very much, Vivek. It's been um, a scary insight to not tomorrow, but the reality of today. So I think a sleepless night is in order. Thank you. <laughs> it was really good to talk to you. <laughs>
you. Well, I loved I I loved you when I met you, Vivek, and it's just an exciting conversation, the good and the bad, and uh, we have to know both. So thanks so much for being with us. We really appreciate you taking the time. The honor was mine. Everybody out there listening, get his book. That's how you're going to learn. It is indeed. Bye for now. Thank you. You are listening to the Future Proof Workplace radio show with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. Make sure to join us next week for another exciting conversation with a thought leader on the changes that are impacting the world of work and the how and where of careers. But sleep well tonight. Maybe switch off Big Brother. And uh, we'll talk next week. This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.